Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Good morning, friends. Can, can you hear me okay, like this? I have both hands for the first time ever in a forum. This is dangerous. <laughs> it's great to see everyone. We have a full house, wonderful. Sorry, we don't have another table or two. Do we have any extra seats? We have an extra seat here. Raise your hand at your table if you have an extra seat. Fabulous. And I'll ask the group, the group over here in the chairs without the table, you'll be a collective unit when the time comes, should we get there. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, giver of all gifts, we thank you for the blessing of this life, for the blessing of our baptism, where we're united to your son in his death so that we might live out a life of resurrection, hope, and joy in the midst of the world that you so love. We thank you for this parish community of St. James, for the two children baptized this morning, and the third to be baptized at the next service. We ask that in all that we do in our common life here at St. James, we might show forth, manifest your glory to the world, and, and have others know the things which had grown old are being made new and that you're up to a new thing always that's full of hope and wonder and joy. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. A little bit of show and tell. If you were here last week, I hope that you picked up A Journey with Matthew, this book by Forward Movement. It takes us through the gospel of Matthew in 50 days. And that is what we're doing as a parish church, this Epiphany Tide. This season after the Feast of the Epiphany, we're reading the Gospel of Matthew together. So this is the second of seven forum sessions on the Gospel of Matthew. The Wednesday morning Bible study, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. In February, we will launch a four-week small group series, doing a deeper dive into the Sermon on the Mount with a, uh, a book of some sort, more details to come. And if you, yes. So if you're yet to have a book, please take a book. They're outside this, these double doors and there's a collection basket. Uh, the book is yours. We ask that you uh, contribute $15 to offset the cost of purchasing all of the books we purchased. Uh, so drop that $15 into the basin out there or throw a 20 in and offset $5 for someone else. Um, good. There's also a reading sheet out there on the table, which shows you how it is that we're walking through the gospel of Matthew each day. And if you haven't started yet, don't worry. It's only January the 12th and we're only on Matthew 6 today. So you can do that in no time to get caught right up and then do digestible bits for the rest of January, because it would be a good thing for you to do it each day so that you just have a smaller amount of scripture to engage so that you might pray with that, reflect on it, rather than do what we all do, namely, here's my phone, here's text, and I just consume words at an alarming rate. Uh, what we're meant to do with scripture is certainly in the 21st century, is to chew on it, 
pray with it, read it slowly, read it over again. That's the monastic practice of Lectio Divina, prayerful reading, uh, which we also offer a couple times a week in the life of our community. So do that, I encourage you. At the end of each digestible section, uh, you have a reflection from a leader in the church. That might be the Dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, the current Dean of the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. Those are a couple that I remember from day one and two. And a prayer. Any questions about that? Lovely. And again, if you don't have a 20 on you or $15, take a book and bring us $15 uh, by Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Do not place anything on the piano. I'm modeling that behavior. <laughs> Great. So Ryan was with you on forum session number one. I'm aware of that reality. And one of the things that he had us think about is our theme for the year, that of beloved community. That when people of, of faith and goodwill come together, they show forth uh, what it is to take responsibility for God's goodness and truth and beauty in this world. So that's what we're about as the church. In this place, called together by the Son of God, Yahweh's, Yahweh incarnate, as Matthew wants us to see, we're called together by him, not least after he's baptized in the Jordan. What's the next thing going to be after the temptations? the calling of people, 12 people, modeling the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is a public, uh, a public event. The baptism is, Matthew makes that clear, that the people around the banks of the Jordan heard the voice. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So what does he do? He starts calling people to follow him so that we might make manifest what it is uh, to share in his life. This is a crucially important thing, that Jesus did not just have Christmas. He's born, and then he dies on a cross and is raised. Sometimes we think of it that way because of the creed, right? Our creed doesn't say anything about his life because his life wasn't all that controversial, and we had the Gospels. It was assumed that we would be nourished with stories of his life in our sacramental community. Does that make sense? When we go to church, when we engage the scriptures. But Jesus very much lived a particular kind of life. Especially we're gonna see him on the margins with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, Gentiles, all of the people that you're not supposed to keep company with. So if Jesus is the center of history, the very center of the world and the center of our lives, which the Christian faith demands, where we find him is always on the margin. So sit with that paradox. If he's the center, we're gonna be on the margin because that's where we find him. So Jesus' life if you will, the politics of Jesus, what he teaches, what he preaches, how he has people pray, he's forming a people. Israel, 
recapitulated, and as the infancy narrative shows, the Gentiles come streaming to the light. That's us. Some of you might be Jewish and have become Christians, but if you're not, that's us, <laughs> right? So this is, is, is God doing a new thing within Israel, which Matthew is very concerned with showing. He says often, this happens so as to fulfill the prophet Isaiah. This happens so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. His point is to say the Old Testament uh, is finding its fulfillment. Israel is finding its fulfillment. The law is finding the prophets. They're all finding their fulfillment in Yahweh made flesh, Yeshua, meaning, does anybody remember what Yeshua means besides Jesus? What does Jesus mean? Yeah, Joshua, that we know Joshua. Yeshua means God saves. So Yahweh is the one who saves, the one God. So this is Yeshua, God saves in the flesh. That's what he's come to do. So Matthew is about this visible community, showing forth the politics of Jesus, being a beloved community in the midst of the world that is fulfilling what Israel's task is from the beginning, to have a common life shaped in such a way around the law and the teachings so that they would be a light to all the nations. And Jesus says in Matthew's gospel only, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Matthew is making it plain that this is not erase the Old Testament story. This is the next chapter and its fulfillment. So the ecclesia, the church, Matthew's the only gospel writer to use that Greek word, ecclesia, um, is Israel. It's a visible community shaped by teaching, shaped by a law, the law of Christ, manifesting his ways in the world. So it's not private. You know, why go to church? Because that's God's plan to save the world. That we come together as a people. Not that I privately stay in my room and say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven. True, good news. <laughs> but not the full story of what God wants to do. God wants to create a people because God is Lord of heaven and earth and everything therein. So we're this visible community meant to reconcile all people. And how do we begin? Be reconciled with one another. How are you reconciled with each other? Forgive one another. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. And know that the merciful savior is there saying, I've made a way forward for you. You can't do this on your own. Your kindness, you can't do it on your own. You're gonna need me. The forgiveness that you're going to need to make this relationship happen, this marriage, this friendship, whatever it is, you're going to need me and a constant pattern of forgiveness so as to be reconciled with one another. Visible, manifest, and a lived faith is what Matthew's about. So if the first couple of chapters are making it plain that Jesus in the genealogy which is, we looked at this in Bible study on Wednesday, genealogy comes from the Greek word Genesis. And then the second half of the first chapter says, and the birth of Jesus took place this way, Mary, 
was with China, you know, whatever, that birth and genealogy are from the same Greek word Genesis. Matthew's taking us back to creation. This is not just a human like other humans, although he's flesh of our flesh, born of Mary. But to make sense of him, we're going to have to go back to Genesis. But in that genealogy, we're clear that he's the son of David and Abraham. I heard them both. Son of David, king, son of Abraham, father of our faith, Abraham and Sarah, the mother and father of, of our faith. So he's Yahweh made flesh. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He's a new King David. He's a recapitulation of Abraham. We have to go back to Genesis. Just in the first few verses of Matthew, we're getting all of this in front of us. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, if we'll read it slowly and go with our study Bible back to whatever verses they tell us to go back to in the Old Testament. Do that because it's awesome. What I want to talk about a little bit today is how Jesus is the new Moses, Israel's teacher, the one who's come to fulfill the law. So he's Emmanuel, he's God with us, he's Yeshua, Joshua, God saves, son of Abraham, son of David, but also Matthew is clear, a new Moses. Have you ever seen the Lindisfarne Gospels? They're lovely. Look those up today or this week. Google search Lindisfarne Gospels. They're at the British Library. How do you spell it? That's a lot of pressure. L-I-N-D-I-S, Lindis, F-A-R-N-E, Lindisfarne Gospels. And um, yeah, British Library, is that what it's called? Patrick, is, is it called the British Library? Good. Um, they're there. That was the first. So what the Lindisfarne Gospels are, circa 700, a monk in northern England uh, did what monks do. Uh, and in his, uh, in his study, he copied the gospel stories. And he was a genius because they're exquisite. And they've come down to us in really good shape. And the history of those gospels, the monastery was raided by some Vikings or whatever, and it went into someone's private collection, which was probably helpful because the monks used them just to like read in public. Uh, and that guy probably didn't, <laughs> just kept it nice and secure. And then uh, he donated those to the British Library. So they're the earliest example of that uh, Anglo-Saxon English period of copying the Gospels. And what he did, uh, just look it up because they're so gorgeous. And at the front of each Gospel, there's a plate, illustrated plate. And Matthew's Gospel has Matthew sitting on a chair, penning his Gospel. And then there's a curtain and poking out from behind the curtain, this monk was very playful. There are all sorts of funny things. Uh, but poking out behind the curtain is another bearded figure holding what looks to be a book or tablets. 
art historians and theological types think that this is Moses. I do too. Uh, so I think what that monk is showing us is here is uh, the story of the new Moses. So Moses is peeking out from the curtain like, what's up? <laughs> what's going on out there, Matthew? So look that up, it's really lovely. So chapters three through eight, which we're focusing in on a bit, are going to develop this picture of Jesus as the teacher of Israel, the capital T teacher. So let's quickly look at some of that. You don't need Bibles, but back in the story of Exodus, we have Israel. Um, right, so well, I should say in Matthew chapters three through eight, we're around a river. We go to mountains and we have the wilderness. Matthew is concerned with these geographical locations, mountain, wilderness, river, reminding us of the stories of Exodus when Yahweh frees his people from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. We go through water, uh, we have wilderness, we have mountains, namely Mount Sinai, where we receive the law and the covenant is made. Israel in Egypt was described by God as my firstborn son. So when we have the story today of the baptism, this is my son, the beloved, we were hearing that again recapitulated. They went across the Red Sea. They were tested by God in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the teaching and afterwards came down to the people. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 3 to 8, 1. He goes up on a mountain and he teaches. So chapters four, five, six, seven are all of these teachings, a new law taught by the teacher of Israel on the mountain. And then he goes down to be with the people. His disciples come up with him. I'm actually a little unclear in reading Matthew because it says that the disciples go up with him while great crowds are following him. It's unclear to me whether great crowds went up the mountain or just Jesus. If you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> because then he goes back down to the people five chapters later. So was it just the inner ring of 12? I'm unclear, but I'm certain that uh, Matthew is telling us that this te new teacher of Israel on the mountain is giving us the new law which is just cool, isn't it? That Matthew is like, here he goes, up the mountain and back down, just like Moses, up the mountain, back down. You don't have to just be a biblical nerd to think that's cool, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> point taken. <laughs> so after Moses' death, the Israelites crossed the river Jordan and they're led by who? Into the land of Israel. Joshua, Yeshua, whose name means God saves. So now Matthew, we have another prophet in the wilderness, John the Baptist. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, comes to the river Jordan and is declared to be by God to be my son, Israel, my son. And then like Israel, he's, after his baptism, led into the wilderness for 40 days. Fortunately for him, not 40 years, but 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus triumphs where Israel failed, right? They 
They struggle, just like us, to be clear. We're like Israel, not like Jesus, <laughs> right? We, we try to, um, like Israel, keep covenant faithfulness, and we struggle. But Jesus, the fulfillment of Israel, uh, he succeeds where Israel failed in the wilderness. And then Matthew tells us again, another geographical piece to pay attention to, that he goes to live in Galilee of the Gentiles, where like Moses, he'll teach again from the mountain. So Galilee of the Gentiles links us back to the three wise men coming at his infancy. That's why Matthew's telling us Galilee of the Gentiles, so that we're gonna come in. Another point, Moses is only shown the land of Israel from his mountain, from Sinai. He sees Israel, and you're going to have this land, but he doesn't get to enter into it. Whereas Jesus, when he's led up to the mountain in the temptation of the wilderness, sees all the kingdoms of the world. Again, the way that the Gentiles are going to be looped into Israel's story. Thank God. Great. Let's shift for a brief moment about mountains. Mountains. It turns out that mountains have always played an important role in the religious imagination, not just of, of uh, Jews and Christians, but every religion under the sun has uh, looked to mountains as a place where humans can connect with God. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we, like the way we look at oceans and mountains, that's a human experience. And we say, wow, that's amazing. Uh, there's a vastness, there's a beauty, there's something that we can't quite control. It feels it's out like bigger than us and it connects us spiritually to the divine. And of course, these mountains were important in Israel's religious development, especially Sinai, but also Zion, where David has his temple, his city. And it's also on that same, on Zion is meant to be the final consummation both for Israel and all the nations. It's, that's where the end of the story is going to be as well. So mountains represent revelation, the presence of God, worship, and consummation, all of which appear in Matthew's mountaintop presentation of his teacher. Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. He's transfigured on a mountain. He enters Jerusalem as their king on a donkey over the Mount of Olives, and he delivers the apocalyptic discourse, which is Matthew 24, on a mountain. In 5.1, Jesus goes up on the mountain to teach his new law and covenant. He feeds the 4,000 from a mountain, and on a final mountain in Galilee, at the end of Matthew's gospel, the risen Christ, the crucified and risen one, receives worship and commissions his disciples to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Matthew uses mountains to disclose Jesus's identity. He's another Moses who teaches and feeds with bread, manna from heaven. He's the son of David, prophesying the eschatological consummation from Zion, the end of all things. He's the son of God, worshiped by the nations on the mountain. He's the teacher of Israel and more. He's the presence of God, not in a cloud 
hovering over a mountain, but in a person among his people. Now it's time for you to talk. Are there any questions, concerns, refutations, celebrations? <laughs> I want you to talk around your table. Uh, you can do one of two things. Something that's, you have about five minutes, so keep it short. Something that you are struck by in this conversation, or it wasn't a conversation, my talking. <laughs> um, something that you were struck by, or a mountaintop experience in your own life. You all are a table back there, and maybe you break into two. Go for it. <laughs> Friends, I'm going to call us back together. I have nothing profound to say to you other than uh, I'm glad you spoke at tables. Um, we're not going to have a chance to share those just now. I need to run off to the next liturgy, and some of you are going there as well. You're welcome to stay down and chat with someone you started a conversation with. By all means, do so. Um, again, please pick up. The, the book outside, if you don't have it yet, Brenda will be with you next week talking uh, about the Sermon on the Mount, which is found within chapters three through eight, but that's worthy of its own forum. So I hope to see you all back next week. Have a great one, and thanks for coming. To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.